That's the Advent message we all want today. You brood of vipers, who warned you? <laughs> I want to read to you, uh, to you all the Old Testament text for today, the Old Testament reading. This comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. We heard a portion of it in the lighting of our Advent wreath this morning. This is Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. We're in this season of Advent, and Advent is kind of a strange season. Oftentimes it gets conflated with the season of Christmas, but it, it shouldn't. This is the, the season of preparation as we move toward Christmas. You know, I, if it were up to me, and I'm glad it's not, but I wish it was, if you know what I mean, I wouldn't start the year with Advent. It's such a strange, strange place to start that we get to the excitement of a new year. We get to open up on this whole new beginning all over again. And where do we begin? Fleming Rutledge says that we begin in the dark, that Advent begins in the dark. We start by being introduced, by being led into this season that's meant to cultivate in us a sense of longing, a sense of hope, but even our sense of hope, like that sounds like good news, but the only reason you have hope is because stuff right now is not so great. You, you have to be hoping for things to get better in order for hope to mean anything, which means right now, stuff's not so great. Fleming Rutledge also says that Advent is the season where we can look around and tell the truth. It's the season when we can look around and say, this is the world not as we wish it were, not as we hope it might be, this is the world as it really is. And it's from bearing up all of that 
pain and all of that suffering and all of that not yet rightness that actually opens up on us being able to have hope. It's a season of anticipation, of expectation that someday, someday, God is going to come and set all these things to rights. But specifically in the season of Advent, as we make a statement like God is going to set all things to rights, we have to name all things. We have to be brave enough to look at all things and acknowledge that all things are not yet right. Advent is this this season of preparation for Christmas, which means we're getting ready to celebrate the reality that Christ has come, that the manger is full. And at the very same time, while we're acknowledging the brokenness and the pain and the suffering, and it's, it's starting to well up within us these feelings of hope and expectation and longing, that at the very same time we celebrate Christ has come but we're longing for the day when Christ will come again. And so we're living in the tension of these two times. Fleming Rutledge also says that what other time, what other season does the church have but the season of Advent? She says all of our days are lived here. In between these these seasons, these moments of we acknowledge that Christ has come and we're saying, but when will Christ come again? We sang this morning, may we love as you love, that we could bring hope into the darkness, that we could bring hope into the dark. The only hope of Advent, the only way that our longings in Advent start to be fulfilled is when we get about being the people of God when we become people who pick up that hope and start to carry it out into the world. Rutledge also says that the only way we fulfill our Advent call is by getting about the work that God is doing in the world, that we become the light in the darkness, that we become hope in seasons and in moments and places of hopelessness. This pushes against all of our, all of our sensibilities as, as, as Christians generally, but if you grew up in churches like I did, one of the things that was said over and over again, and it was said as, in this like mysterious kind of way, like we just need to figure out what God is up to. I wonder what God's doing, right? And it was always sent to, said to cultivate this kind of like, yeah, what is, what is God up to? which is supposed to spark a kind of curiosity, right? Like we need to get out there and find out like how is God moving? What is God saying? What is God doing in the world? But the reality is if you want to know what God is doing in the world, what are you doing in the world? (laughs) You are the body of Christ. And there's at least some piece of this season of Advent that's meant to show us while we're busy cultivating this longing and this hope and this expectation of God to come and do what God alone can come and do, God's looking at us, waiting for us to do what is ours to do. God is waiting on us to start to live out this prophecy of Isaiah, where the wolf and the lamb can live together. 
These kinds of places where children are leading us into paths of peace. It's a radical reality. And we're the people who are called to embody it. A handful of us, um, this is our, our brave, faithful remnant of our Sunday school efforts. Um, we're, we're tackling Athanasius writing on the incarnation. And for those of you who have been part of our Sunday morning, uh, our small book Sunday school, and you've given up on Athanasius, you cowards, every, every one of you. But there's four or five of us that are like, you know, we're going we're gonna to tackle this thing. And a lot of a lot of the work of Athanasius, it's kind of a strange book to read in Advent, and at the same time, it makes perfect sense. It's this book called On the Incarnation. And what's happening in this book is, is Athanasius is saying, you know what, we believe that God has come to us in this person of Jesus. We believe that that's what's happened. But why is that good news? It's only good news if we understand who Jesus is. And it's only good news if we understand why Jesus comes. And his basic argument is that humanity, this thing that God has created, us beings, that we are in a bit of a dilemma. That we have been created for life, but in our being created for life, we have fallen into death. That the very thing that God meant to be incorruptible has been corrupted by evil. And evil, in Athanasius' words, evil is non-being. So think about this. God creates us as human beings, calls us good. And what he says has happened to us is we have fallen from our goodness into evil, which he says is non-being that we are actually descending into non-existence, ceasing to be human as God imagines us to be human. And then Athanasius has this beautiful, brilliant line, like a good Pentecostal preacher, he repeats it over and over and over again. And he says, what was God to do? What was God, being good, left to do? But when he sees the creation that he loves and that he cares for descending into nothingness, what was God to do? And he says, not only has humanity fallen from life into death, but humanity has also fallen from knowledge of God into ignorance of God. And he says that in creation, God has given us everything that we need to see God and to recognize God and God's activity in our world. But in our ignorance, we took those very things that God put in front of us to recognize him and we've turned it into something else. He says this is the work of idols in our lives and the images that we worship and our ideas about creation over and against God's ideas of creation. And again, Athanasius says, we are falling not just from life to death, but from knowledge to ignorance. And what was God to do but to step in? What was God to do but catch us from falling into nothingness? And he does it by way of Jesus. I had a couple interesting experiences yesterday. 
The first was uh, I had put a, a post on Facebook, which like mistake number one. <laughs> and it wasn't anything. It was, it was literally an announcement about our Sunday school class this morning. Um, just a, a basic, hey, we're reading this book. Read this chapter if you're joining us. And the name of the chapter is The Death of Christ and the Resurrection of the Body. That was the section that we were discussing this morning. The death of Christ and the resurrection of the body. Join us at 9 a.m. That was the scandalous post, right? And someone responded to it. I, I don't know who this person is. I, I, I actually removed it. So like, if you try to go and, and find her, like, publicly shame her later, you won't be able to do it. But the comment that she made was, Christmas is about Jesus' birth, the season of hope, not about the cross. It's about hope, not about the cross. You see the problem. Christmas is about hope. It's about the birth of Jesus. It's not about the hope of the world and this action of the cross. It is funny, but it's also tragic. I think it reveals something that I think a lot of us unknowingly believe about Jesus. I think it says a lot about what we think about how we engage in seasons of the church's year. And here at Advent, it would be a good place to say every season we experience, be it Advent or Christmas or Epiphany or Lent, every season of the church's life, it only makes sense by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The only reason we have hope in Advent is because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The only reason any of these seasons make sense. We're moving toward this day of Christmas when the manger is full of life. And the only reason that the manger being full of life has any meaning is because the tomb is empty of death. It's the only reason that any of our moments, any of our seasons, any of our celebrations have any significance is because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Now, where we get a little confused, and, and I hope you can hang with me here, is that when we think about the life of Jesus, which is why we celebrate the seasons, it's to follow Christ where Christ goes, uh, Sister Joan Chittister has this beautiful line where she says, the reason we celebrate the church calendar, the reason we follow in the life of Jesus year after year after year is so that Christ's life becomes our very own life. That as we learn to cultivate seasons of longing, as we learn to welcome Christ in Christmas, as we learn to understand who God is in the season of Epiphany, as we learn to make room for God in our life in seasons of Lent, the only reason we do it is so that we can join in the life of Christ so that his life and our life are the very same life. 
But one of the things that I think we, we get confused by is, and we do this all the time, we take our experience with life, our experience with love, our experience with relationships, and we just take our experience of them, make them way bigger, and then apply it to God. So we think about our life as moving along sequentially, linearly, we're moving in one kind of direction. It's very neat, it's very ordered. One day after the next, one event leads to another event, leads to another. And we think that Jesus' life worked the very same way. Like sometimes Jesus is doing one thing, but then other times Jesus is doing another thing. In the example of our Facebook comment, sometimes Jesus is bringing hope and then other times he's dying. But the life of Jesus, being fully human and being fully divine, fully God, his life doesn't work like that. His life doesn't work in this neat, ordered, sequential number of events. Who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing are one and the same. So that at every moment of Christ's life, he's being born into the world, whether he is lying down in a manger or crawling up onto a cross. At every moment, Christ is dying. At every moment, Christ is being born. At every moment, Christ is being tempted in the wilderness. At every moment of Christ's life, everything is being experienced and realized. I was talking with Father Chris about this last night. And he said, Christ is identical with his life, including his works, so that each moment includes every other moment, so that all of Christ's life is cross, all of Christ's life is temptation, all of Christ's life is miracle, every single part of it. And so what is resurrected is his entire life. A life that's not complete apart from the death on the cross. We want to separate this out. We want to segment it so that at one point Christ is being born and at one point Christ is being crucified and dying and being buried. But that's not how life works for Jesus. Every part of his life is a birthing into the world. Every part of his life is a dying on a cross for us. Every part of his life is perfect sacrifice. Every single part of it. So that we can look at a manger and we can experience the hope of Easter. We can experience the, the absence in a season like Lent, the temptation of a season like Lent, and we can experience the hope and the resurrection of Easter. Every moment comes to us at every moment. We don't understand the baby in the manger apart from the man on the cross. There is no separation. So do we, do we celebrate Advent? Do we say things like Happy Advent to you? I don't know. But we remember that our longing, our hoping, our waiting is all directed toward the one who is crucified, died, and was buried. He is the one who makes sense 
of our longing and our hoping and our anticipating. He is the one who descended to the dead and on the third day rose again. Do we celebrate Christmas? Yes, of course, but our celebrating is rooted in the fact that because the manger is full of life, the tomb is empty of death. Do we celebrate Epiphany? Of course, and as we consider the Magi, these Zoroastrian priests, these apparent outsiders to the people of God, we recognize that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was a sacrifice for all people. Athanasius has this beautiful line when he's, he's wrestling with why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why did it have to be that kind of death? Why couldn't he have just gotten sick and died? But he had to suffer he had to be tortured, strung up on a cross. And he says that part of why Christ had to die on a cross so that his arms would be stretched out so that he could welcome all people into his life. He says the ancient peoples and the Gentiles alike are brought together in Christ's outstretched arms. That's what we celebrate in Epiphany. Not just that, oh, we have these great ideas about who Jesus is. We celebrate an epiphany that Christ in his crucifixion has made room for all people. Every season, every moment, every Sunday that we gather is about resurrection. And what is resurrected, again, is Christ's entire life. Resurrection is about a life that isn't complete, that isn't whole, apart from that death on the cross. Which means if you and I are to experience resurrection, it means we're also going to experience death. We're going, we're going to lose. The second thing that happened to me yesterday was my daughter's very first basketball game. And I'm the assistant coach. <clears throat> Mistake number one. And it was, again, her very first game ever, as well as every other girl on her team. So this is brand new territory. Whole team of third grade girls who have never played a minute of competitive basketball in their lives. And man, if I have any idea, I have no idea what, I'm, what, what we're doing. So we show up and there's that little bit of hope in you, right? That you're looking at your team and you're like, you know what? These are third grade girls. And the other people we're playing against today, they're also third grade girls. How much different can like these third grade girls be from other third grade girls? So we've got them in their lines and they're, you know, shooting their layups and getting rebounds and no one is making any shots. And like, it was like a scene from a movie. Like the double doors to the gym open and the other team comes walking in. And I mean, we've got jerseys, they've got jerseys. They've got like matching sweatbands. The coaches have like their team shirts and like their matching like sweatpants on. The parents are wearing sweatshirts with like the team logo, carrying their kids matching team backpacks. And I just went, oh crap. 
And over the course of the next 42 minutes, they lost 36 to zero. <laughs> Brutal, right? Just, ugh. And I said to Nora after, did you have fun? <laughs> and she goes, I had so much fun. But man, we got our butts kicked. <laughs> In this life, you will suffer. <laughs> you are going to lose. Losing is just part of the gig. Our gospel text today has this line from John the Baptist where he says, even now the ax is laying at the root of the trees. There are times when it feels like our lives are getting hacked away at. That we are losing. And not just like in basketball games, but we're losing things that we feel like are giving our lives meaning we're losing people that we thought we wouldn't lose. We're losing relationships that we thought were solid and just impenetrable. We are going to lose. It's just part of life. The ax is at the root of the tree. But remember the prophet Isaiah who says from the stump of Jesse, a shoot is going to spring forth, and a branch is going to grow. Sometimes the only way life is going to come is after those kinds of losses. There are going to be moments when you're experiencing loss of your own making, you're going to be losing things that it's your own fault. And then there are going to be other times when you're losing things that you have no control over. And it's just the hand that life is dealing you. The good news is sometimes God stumps us in order to bring about that new thing he's going to do. In order to make space for life to grow, and to flourish. We shouldn't be afraid of loss. We can grieve loss, but we don't fear it because we know that this is the way that God works. There is this other bizarre line. Let me get back to it. And if this is going long, now you just need to blame Father Chris because he texted me at 9.15 this morning and was like, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> Today, we lit the candles of hope and peace. More traditionally, this isn't Father Chris, this is just context. More traditionally, <laughs> this is the candle of death and the candle of judgment. And we don't like the idea of judgment. Oftentimes when we're experiencing loss in our lives, we think that it is judgment. And sometimes it is. 
But judgment isn't really what we, we make of it oftentimes. Judgment can be good news. And there's this line here in Isaiah's text where it says, with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. What this should recall for us, because it's a strange line, what it should lead us back to is think about the other times in our sacred story when God breathes. Think about the moment when God enlivens Adam. Think about the, the moment of the death of Moses, which is brought about by what's, what the text calls the kiss of God. And then in John 20, we see this breath having this kind of fulfillment moment when Jesus breathes on the disciples so that they are filled with the spirit. This is all one and the same breath. It's the breath that brings us life. It's the breath that invites us into death. It's the breath that enlivens us by the spirit. And all of that is God's judgment on our lives. God's judgment being breathed onto us does exactly what Isaiah says. It, it, it kills the wicked, which is to say that it eliminates the wickedness of our own hearts and brings us back to who God really imagines us to be. So here at now the middle of our season of Advent, remember, the only reason this has any meaning is because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And that because Christ was led into death and burial, we too are going to experience loss, but we have hope. And our hope is the resurrection. So we don't have to be afraid. In the seasons of losing, we don't have to be afraid. In the moments where we feel like we're experiencing judgment, we don't have to be afraid. Because what was God being good to do but send us his son? Amen.